What is the church? I I mentioned when we first started the book of Acts that we'd be looking at some ecclesiology. That's the study of the church. And as we study the church, from Scripture to historical documentation to even current observations, we see that the church has undergone a mind-boggling amount of changes over the last 2,000 years. Uh, buildings. If we just look at buildings, they, they began meeting in houses, synagogues, even on the temple grounds. And then under the oppression of the emperors, they began meeting in catacombs. They, they began meeting in graveyards. And then they built grand cathedrals. From grand cathedrals, we went to church buildings like what we have. And there's even a movement of bringing churches. Churches are springing up in business malls or uh, industrial complexes. Music. They started singing psalms in Hebrew. And then there was a period of church history where it was voices only. Instruments were all of the devil. And Gregorian chant. Anybody ever heard some good Gregorian chant? Yeah, that's gone by the wayside. It's gone from that to organ, to piano, to guitar, and God forbid, the drums. It's gone from hymns to worship songs. Denominations and independent churches number in the thousands to the tens of thousands, depending upon who you talk to, and and each with their own particulars uh, that set them apart from the rest. Is the church still the church? What is it that defines the church? Is it traditions? Is it preferences? If it's traditions, let's remember that the church came out of Judaism, right? So we would still be beholden to the law and the sacrificial system, right? Worshiping on the Sabbath, that's Saturday, and singing psalms in Hebrew, right? And, and you might say, oh, don't be silly, that, that shouldn't be the case. Well, Galatians chapter 5, if you read that later, you'll see that there were those who were trying to perpetuate those regulations, Regulations of the law, in order to be a part of the church, you'd have to abide by those things like circumcision as if they were necessary. Tradition, tradition. Please tell me you've all seen Fiddler on the Roof. (laughs) If preferences define the church, there was a place and time in church history where you would not have been allowed to sing in the church because you could not possibly glorify God with your voice. Only the professionals should be singing because their voices were worthy of God. Do you think we should still hold to that one? What are the foundations of the church? What is it that makes the church the church body? Today's passage pulls us out of the cloudy mist of history and tradition and opinion, giving us a snapshot of some foundational characteristics of the early church as it was formed. These characteristics are given to us in a narrative, but a descriptive fashion. But as we look at them, we're going to see that we're, we're going to look at who the early church was made of, how they thought and went about church business, what they did and why they did it. We'll see that this narrative gives us some of the defining characteristics of the church everywhere at all times. Go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 12 through 26. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. 
Acts 1, verse 12 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field and with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp be desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who accompanied so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. The reading of God's word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and have a seat. <coughs> there are peripherals and there are essentials. There are certain necessary elements that form the foundation of the church, and there are other things that are not necessary, but can serve purposes for a time, or are simply aesthetic or cultural preferences. There are closed-fisted and open-handed aspects to every church body. So let's, let's take a test, and, and your two choices are open-handed, or closed-fisted. Okay, you ready? Jesus Christ, I'm going to start easy. Jesus Christ is God who took on flesh and died on the cross in our place. Open-handed or closed-fisted? Closed-fisted. We hold to that one. The color of the carpet. Closed-fisted. Right? All foods have been declared clean, and we should not judge someone for what they eat or drink. That's a biblical statement, right? Close-fisted. The ESV is the best translation. In my opinion, yes, but in all reality, open-handed. Worship songs glorify God better than hymns. Or is it hymns that worship God better than... any? Open-handed, yes? In this passage, we're going to look at five 
essentials. Number one, the foundation of the church is a dependence upon and a commitment to Jesus Christ. The foundation of the church is a dependence upon and a commitment to Jesus Christ. Number two, the church is composed of a diversity of people. A diversity of people. Number three, those people are of one heart and mind. One heart and mind. Those people are students of God's word and people of prayer. Students of God's word and people of prayer. And lastly, Jesus gave the church elders to lead and to guide according to God's word. Jesus gave the church elders to lead and to guide according to God's word. The first verse we read, verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. Seems kind of like an innocuous verse, doesn't it? But what is the first thing the disciples did after Jesus ascended into heaven? Look at verse 4 of the same chapter. Chapter 1, verse 4. And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. What's the first thing they did? They obeyed Jesus. There was a commitment to obedience to Jesus, their Lord. Now, when they decided to choose a new member of the apostles, what was to be his most important quality? Look with me at verses 21 and 22. So one of the men, this is Peter speaking, so one of the men who accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he, Jesus, was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. What was the most important quality of this man who was to become an apostle? He needed to have an intimate and detailed knowledge of Jesus Christ from the very beginning to the very end, to which he could give witness. He needed to know Jesus Christ and his ministry, the gospel message of his kingdom, inside and out, and be able to give witness to that message. When this group of people prayed, who did they pray to? Verse 24, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. You, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who knows the hearts of all men. If you look at Mark 2.8 and John 2.25, later you can look at a Mark 2.8 and John 2.25, we see Jesus knowing the hearts of men. He is the Lord. He's the one who chose all the disciples initially. That is the one to whom they are praying. The church from its foundations must first and foremost be dependent upon and committed to Jesus Christ and to Christ alone. They understood that he was their founder and their king. 
Matthew 16, 18, Jesus speaking. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's his church. Not just in a historical sense, but he was and is still alive, isn't he? He has risen. Thank you very much. Let's try that one more time. He has risen. Thank you. Traditions aren't necessary, but they sure can be fun, can't they? He was still their leader, their guide, the living head of the church body. Ephesians 5, 23. Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. They understood that he was their savior and there is no other. Peter declares this before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders in Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. We'll get there eventually, but for today, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They even changed their day of worship to accord with the day of Jesus' resurrection. We can see that in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, that they started meeting on the first day of the week. That would be Sunday, as opposed to the Sabbath, which is Saturday. The person and works of Jesus Christ were life-altering, culture-shifting, significant. They were no longer under the law, nor were they beholden to traditions. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He is the one to whom all Scripture points as the penultimate point of God's plan of salvation. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus comes alongside two men who are walking the road to Emmaus, and he begins to explain to them how all these scriptures point to him as the Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Jesus was now the center, the central point of their faith. They were willing to change anything and everything about what they did in order to come under subjection to his authority for his glory because they knew who he is. They knew he was God on earth. Do we know who Jesus is? He is still alive. He is still the head of the church. This is his body here in Alden. Are we willing to change traditions, 
our church culture, our personal habits, anything and everything, is it subject to His will for us, for the sake of Him who gave anything and everything for us? In order that the message of His kingdom, His gospel, would be as powerfully delivered to our community as possible? Or is there something that we hold dear? Is there something that I'm not willing to let go of? Anything that we hold back? Jesus, you can have everything, but you're not taking this away from me. I'm not taking that stained glass windows in the back there from me. No, those are holy. You're not taking away the color of that carpet. That's holy. What is it that we hold as holy? Or do we hold anything as holy before God? What are we perpetuating here? Is it the building? Is it a program? We can't cut that one. That one's holy. Is it a style of worship? Or is it Jesus Christ that we want to perpetuate above and beyond anything and everything that we hold dear? The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. The essentials are closed-fisted. The peripherals are all up for grabs. Aren't they? Now, who are these people who were so willing to change their lives to follow Jesus Christ? Who is the church composed of? Look with me at verse 13. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room and where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was 120 in all. Who were these people? What was the church composed of? It wasn't a building. The first church building was an upper room. The place is insignificant, but let's look at the people. Did you see the diversity in that list of people. They were a mixed bag, weren't they? You got sinners saved by grace. You've got the women who surely included Mary Magdalene. And in Luke 8, 2, you'll see that seven demons were removed from her by Christ. A sinner saved by grace. Matthew was a tax collector. They earned their living through extortion charging more, demanding more than what the tax actually was. A sinner saved by grace. All of them with different pasts. Some were fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Some of them were carpenters. Jesus' brothers probably would have taken after their father. One was a prostitute, another a tax collector. There are about 120 different people in this church body. How many of us are different from the person next to us? Oh, come on. You know you're different from the one next to you. 
They all had different pasts. They each had their own personality. As we spoke of last week, you had the bold, brash extroverts like Peter, James, and John. You had Thomas with his empirical evidence. You had the introverts that we don't know so well. You had Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot was? Militant. Guns and God, right? That was Simon the Zealot. You had men. You had women. You had the old. You had Jesus' mother and those who could be her children. You ever heard that? When you want to tell somebody they're young, you say, I could be your mother. Or in my case, I could be your father. Young and old, mixed generations, all together, only beginning to reflect the nature of the church body as God ordained it to be. Isaiah, way back in Isaiah 49.6, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's intention is to reach the end of the earth with his gospel message. If we look at the end, we see Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The church is purposed by God to be composed of a diversity of people. And while they were a diverse group, did they allow their differences to be divisive? Did they allow their differences to be divisive? How did they worship? Look at verse 14. All these, all means all in That's all all means. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together. All these. Every different one of them. Every generation, every past, every personality, every preference, every person. With one accord, together, in harmony with one another. The the language there is with one purpose. That purpose is to see, see Jesus Christ glorified through the spread of the gospel, through his spirit empowered church, in order to reconcile to himself people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Yes? Devoted. All of these with one accord, devoted, strong, steadfast, carrying onward continuously, letting nothing stand in the way, devoted to prayer together. This crazy mixed bag of people were all together of one heart and one mind, steadfast in prayer-filled worship together. This is what Jesus does, isn't it? 
He brings sinners made righteous by his grace together and makes them a body devoted to his glorification in their lives. And as they gathered, what did they do? They were students of God's word, and they were people of prayer. If we want to see them praying, look at verse 14 again. What were they devoted to? All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Look at verses 24 and 25. They prayed, and we can see a specific occurrence of their prayer. They were praying to the Lord Jesus, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show to us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry as an apostle. They were people of prayer. They gathered together to pray, and I am so blessed. I I pursued this pastorate in part because there is a Wednesday night prayer meeting. We devote ourselves to lifting each other up as a family of God, prayerfully, because we understand that God is the living God. He is not dead, and he answers prayer, and he cares for his people. And this is significant. This is important that we are a people devoted to prayer. Even if you can't make it out on a Wednesday night, be devoted to praying together. Find an opportunity. Make an opportunity to pray with your church family at some point, at some time. We need to be a people of prayer. They were devoted to the Word. Verses 15 through 20, we can see that Peter leads them through a Bible study. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. And he goes on to quote some Scriptures. For it is written, verse 20, for it is written, in the book of Psalms, may his camp be desolate and let no one, there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So we see Peter leading them through a Bible study. He opens the word. He applies the word. In just a second, we're going to see them doing something with it, yes? That they might continue to walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. In leading this Bible study, Peter was taking up the mantle of authority. He was establishing the importance of the apostles as leaders in the church because Jesus had chosen these men. Jesus had given the church elders to lead and to guide according to God's word. If you want to read more about elders, you can look up the following passages later. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7. Titus chapter 1 5 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. Now there's a lot we could look at as we look through these last verses of this passage as they seek a replacement for Judas. I want us to focus today on how they did it. They, they look at their church and they say, we have a situation. Judas is gone. There's only 11 apostles. Now, as an aside, uh, personally, I think Peter got a little bit ahead of himself 
men are doers, aren't we? We're going to fix things. We see something that needs to be fixed. And so we, we aren't waiters. And that's why they ended up casting lots. The choice wasn't clear yet. I think Paul would come along later as one untimely born. Yes, that's what he says himself in 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 9. Okay, back to this. Sometimes there are choices to be made in a church, aren't there? And there's choices that could go one way or another. There, there are nearly a hundred ways to order a service, yeah? Have you ever been to another church and they do things differently, but they still praise and worship God? Do we institute an Awana program or don't we? When should the youth, where should the youth go for summer retreat? Who should fill this or that leadership position? What style of worship should we use? Coming to an impasse, they cast lots before the Lord but not before applying certain things. First thing they applied was God's Word. In verse 16, it says, Scripture had to be fulfilled. Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. They're recognizing God's Word. Verse 20, Again, he says, it is written in the Psalms. If we are going to do something as a church or, or make a choice to change something in the church body, it needs to be something that brings us in line or more in line with the Word of God. Let me give you an example. Deacons. I know some of us still slip and call them trustees, right? But the word deacons reflects a servant-heartedness. Trustees is traditional, but deacons, and I'm so thankful as a church, we came to more biblical language. We, we saw something and we said, no, let's, let's bring this more in line with God's word. They used God's word to make their decisions in the early church. And they used good reason. They lined up their decision with God's word. God gave us creative, imaginative, good minds capable of good reason. Especially when it's set up against God's word. Verses 16 through 19, they say, we have a situation. Verses 21 through 22. They make a list of qualifications. One of the men who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They made a list of qualifications for this person. You can just see Thomas sitting there making his list. This list was centered on Jesus Christ, a knowledge of him. And then verse 23, they said, let's, let's figure out who meets these qualifications. And they came down to two different people. This was not a haphazard, emotional decision. This was not a popularity contest. They saw a need, and they took care of business with good reason, held next to God's Word. And they, they bathed this decision in prayer. 
They used God's word, good reason lined up with God's word, and prayer. Verse 24, we see them addressing the Lord. They brought the business of the church before the Lord. In what they were doing, they were seeking his glory and not their own. This is the foundation of the church. We are a group of people with a dependence upon and a commitment to Jesus Christ above and beyond our traditions and our personal preferences. We are a diversity of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. As students of God's word and people of prayer, understanding that God has given the church elders to lead and to guide according to God's word, good reason, and prayer. Those who would seek out what needs there are in the body that we would be continuously brought in line with Jesus and his will for us. Every church body will have peripheral choices wrapped around what is essential to the church. The church changes with cultural influences, personal preferences everywhere you go. We just need to be sure that whatever traditions or preferences, or trappings we wrap the church in that they do not cloud or distort the essentials that the church was founded upon. Whatever we do and however we package it, we cannot lose our Christ-centeredness and still call ourselves a church of God. We must remain devoted, steadfast in the study of God's Word and in prayer. We must be sure that this mixed bag of people from every generation, every nation, every skin color and accent, that we are not segregated in any way, but that we remain of one accord, empowered by one spirit, headstrong in one purpose, the glorification of Jesus Christ through the spread of his gospel kingdom, through the spread of the gospel message together. And when we do have choices to make, we need to ensure that those choices are entrusted to Christ-centered leadership who will adhere to scriptural standards, have good Christ-centered sense, and will bathe their choices in prayer. Let us walk with Christ together on his sure foundation. Let's pray. Father God, this is your church body. We are not our own, but bought with the blood of your Son, purchased by the most precious thing to ever set foot on this earth. A salvation not our own, but given to us freely. God, you are good. Help us, Lord, to walk with you. To lay before you everything we are, everything we say, everything we do, this body is yours. We lay this all at your feet in Christ's name. Amen.